I love that song because it makes you realize that shame is the burden. And it's such a relief to lay it down. Today we read about the Pharisees who, who were good at heaping burdens of guilt on people. Whether they wanted to or not, that was what Jesus said they did. Today's scripture relates two stories which occurred on a Sabbath. In Judaism, Sabbath is a holy day of rest, and regulations which were recorded as law guarded people from doing anything that might count as work on the Sabbath. Given Jesus' actions and those of his disciples, Pharisees question his Sabbath practices in this morning's passage, reading from Luke 6, 1 through 11. One Sabbath, as Jesus was going through wheat fields, his disciples were picking the heads of wheat, rubbing them in their hands, and eating them. Some Pharisees said, why are you breaking the Sabbath law? Jesus replied, haven't you read what David and his companions did when they were hungry? He broke the law by going into God's house and eating the bread of the presence which only priests can eat. He also gave some of that bread to his companions. Then Jesus said to them, The Son of Man is Lord of the Sabbath. On another Sabbath, Jesus entered a synagogue to teach. A man was there whose right hand was withered. The legal experts and Pharisees were watching Jesus closely to see if he would heal on the Sabbath. They were looking for a reason to bring charges against him. Jesus knew their thoughts. So he said to the man with the withered hand, get up and stand in front of everyone. The man got up and stood there. Jesus said to the legal experts and Pharisees, here's a question for you. Is it legal on the Sabbath to do good or to do evil, to save life or to destroy it? Looking around at them all, Jesus said to the man, stretch out your hand. The man did, and his hand was made healthy. The legal experts and Pharisees were furious and began talking with each other about what to do with Jesus. The word of the Lord. This scripture made me recall um, one Sunday back in the day when we used to do message for young disciples and the kids would come up and sit on the steps and there was always someone to give some kind of a message. It wasn't always the preacher of the day and so many times I sat with the kids and one day the kid comes and sits beside me and goes, he looks up and sees the table, communion table and goes, what's with the bread? <laughs> and you know how you're tempted and you're, you start thinking the possible answers like, well, it could relate to the bread of the presence of the Old Testament to signify God's fellowship with his people. It could be a reminder that Jesus is here with us because he is the bread of life. But I really want to say, I don't know, it was here when I got here. <laughs> I don't know what the church's tradition is. But instead I said, shh. Listen to your teacher, <laughs> like all parents do, deflect. <laughs> to keep Sabbath means to observe it as a day of rest, 
and of worship. It is a day that we get reoriented as to what really matters. And, and we are not the center of the universe. God is. And, and Sabbath helps us remember that. Helps us practice that. In the time of Jesus, the Pharisees, who, whose primary concern was obeying the law, every detail of the law, that it was important to do so for spiritual reasons, made, it, made the Sabbath equally about what was prohibited. For example, no work of any kind was permitted on the Sabbath. No cooking, no dishes, no sweeping, no starting a fire for food. No carrying of a burden of any kind. So on a Sabbath day, when the disciples walked through that grain field and, and plucked the heads of wheat to eat them, the, the Pharisees said, that constitutes work. You're in violation of the Sabbath. And they were right. As scrupulous students of God's law, they were right most of the time. Do you know anyone like that? And in defense of his disciples, Jesus cites the example of David and his men who, when they were fleeing the jealous rage of Saul, who sought to kill David, entered the tabernacle and they ate the bread of the presence, the bread that was set aside, that the law only allowed priests to eat. But David claimed the right to do so because he had been anointed as God's rightful king. And he was waiting for the day when, when he would sit on the throne instead of Saul. In the same way, Jesus, as God's coming king, had the right to suspend Sabbath law when necessary. And just as David and his men were an exception to the rule, so Jesus and his disciples are. And with the breaking in of God's new world and the coming of the Messiah that Jesus was, then the rules that were appropriate to the old world, to the old order, had to change. They had to be rethought because God was doing something new. But it's asking a lot of people who make it their life objective to please God by fulfilling the law, to suspend that activity, to not honor that. How can you ever be wrong when you devote your life to standing for what is right? But being right sometimes can be detrimental if not even harmful. Being right sometimes can be detrimental, if not harmful. Consider these words from modern Israel poet Yehuda Amakai. The title of my sermon is the title of his poem. From the place where we are right, flowers will never grow in the spring. The place where we are right is hard and trampled like a yard. But doubts and loves dig up the world like a mole. 
a plow. And a whisper will be heard in the place where the ruined house once stood. Nothing grows between us when we speak to one another from the place where we're right. Every married couple or close friendship knows that arguments that end in win-lose means both parties lose. Being right or correct about the content of an argument matters far less than being mindful and aware of the person you're having the conversation with, the relationship itself. And I'm embarrassed to say that in my effort to press my point and convince my loved ones of the rightness of my point of view, I have caused more harm and hurt than any satisfaction I anticipated in, of being declared right. And by the way, it's never happened that I've declared right. <laughs> Whatever cause I was trying to advance came at too high a cost. It's important for us to understand the biblical concept of righteousness is not a matter of being right. It's doing what is right in any relationship we're in. Doing the right thing that fosters and furthers and deepens the relationship. In couples counseling, I recall our therapist asking Katie and me if we believed the other was a good faith person. In other words, did we trust that each of us wanted the best for one another and that we were on the same side? And it was easy to acknowledge that was true in his office. But in the heat of an argument, many times I thought Katie was my enemy. The question he asked was intended to open us up rather than stand from a place where we're right. For when we speak from a place of vulnerability, we then offer the opportunity for discovery and growth compared to speaking from a place of certainty. Speaking from a place of doubt and love breaks up the soil of our hearts so that we can truly listen and learn. In the second story, Jesus enters a synagogue again on the Sabbath, and that's the link between the two stories, another Sabbath. And there Jesus encounters a man with a withered hand, and in most of the miracle stories or the healing stories in Luke's gospel and other places, the pattern is something like this. Someone asks Jesus to heal them of whatever of whatever um, bodily ailment or sickness that they have. And then Jesus will identify their faith or that of someone with them and on the basis of that faith, heal that person. But that's not how this story goes. In this story, the man hasn't asked anything. In fact, he's minding his own business and Jesus takes the initiative and invites him to stand in front of everyone. Now, if you're maimed in some way, that's the last thing you want to do, is stand in front of everyone. And I like to picture that this man probably put his 
his arm behind his back or else put it up under his other arm. That he didn't want that to be the focus of who he is. And after Jesus has him stand in front of everyone, he then looks at the Pharisees and asks this question. Is it better to do good on the Sabbath or to do harm? Is it better to save a life or to kill one? Now, you might think, well, that's extreme. Of course, the answer, they know the answer. But Jesus knew that the Pharisaic law allowed for the Sabbath laws and observances to be suspended because of a clause in order to save a life that preempts any other observance of the Sabbath. So in essence, Jesus is saying, so it is lawful to save a life and saving healing is a way of saving as well. We, not just the, the con theological concept of saving, but in that day, to be made whole is to be saved. To be healed is to be saved. But the Pharisees don't answer him. And Jesus continues to look at them and yet command the man, stretch out your arm. And when he did, it was made whole. Now, the other thing we're used to in stories of healing in Luke's gospel is that everybody else is amazed and they give glory to God, right? That's what we've come to expect that whoa factor, right? But that's not what we hear. Luke puts all of the concentration on the response of the Pharisees who were furious. And they left and talked among themselves as to what they were going to do about Jesus. In another translation, it says they plotted against him and they were plotting his death. So here's Jesus saying, is it better to save a life on the Sabbath or to kill? And he's saving. And these people who observe the law are plotting death. Now, it's tempting when we read a text like this to keep it at arm's length. To see it as a contrast between a rigid legalistic system versus the freedom and life-giving gospel that Jesus proclaimed. And we, of course, identify with Jesus. We're on the side of Jesus, right? But perhaps a more productive way for us to hear the gospel in this story is to identify ourselves with the Pharisees. That's uncomfortable, but hang with me. We're halfway there as Presbyterians. We, we're already halfway there because we're a law-abiding people at least you're supposed to be, um, and as Presbyterians. And we also, we use our minds. We think of faith first before we ever feel it or respond. Um, we process in a cognitive way. What if we see all the times and all the ways we too stand from a place where we're right? Write about convictions, values. Write about traditions, commitments, morals, doctrines, preferences. All the times we've not been willing to learn or grow or discover because 
the place where we are right is hard and trampled like a yard, and nothing grows there. A saying gets at the problem of such a place. What gets us into trouble is not what we don't know. It's what we know for sure that just ain't so. The Pharisees had no room in their understanding and view of God to hear what Jesus was saying, nor were they willing to reevaluate their reality based on what Jesus was doing. To them, Jesus was wrong and therefore could not be from God. Because he did not keep the Sabbath the way they thought it should be kept, their rightness made them deaf to the words spoken by the Lord of the Sabbath. So at this point, we might ask ourselves, what does God have to break open in us for us to see and accept what we previously have denied or blocked due to our guarding of what we think is right, what we're certain about, what we consider to be absolute. Jesus consistently broke through barriers and boundaries like that. He touched a man diseased and contagious. He risked his reputation by eating and relating to people of questionable character. He saw people others ignored. He welcomed people outside norms of acceptable spiritual worth. Jesus made love and compassion his priority over the sacredness of the law and religious purification. He was more concerned with bringing the grace of God in concrete expressions than he was about teaching how to abide by the law. So what holy ground do we make hard by the stand we take? The stand against others. The stand against people whose skin, customs, and language are different than ours. Against people who squander their earnings on addictions of alcohol, drugs, gambling, or sex. Against people who live together but aren't married against people whose sexual identity or orientation we don't share or understand, against people who call themselves spiritual but whose religious inclinations and language seems devoid of God, against people whose political leanings are opposite our own. What is sacred? How do we prevent fear and prejudice from hardening our hearts against God and against those whom God loves? What if instead of avoiding someone we think sinful and trying to figure out how to convince them of their being wrong, we focused instead of what they might value as loving? What might help them to hear and experience a gospel of grace? The Pharisees were not wrong to uphold the Sabbath. They were right, legally. But being right can prohibit us from being loving 
Being right can prevent us from showing compassion. Being right does not get us to Jesus. Rightness has no need of God's grace because it relies on oneself to be made acceptable by keeping the rules. Rightness does not need faith. Rightness does not know compassion. Rightness does not remain open to learn and to grow and to be transformed into the image of God. The gospel gifts us with the righteousness we need. It's not earned. It's received. It's not about being right. It's about being it's about doing what is right in and for the good of the relationship. Being made right in relationship to God and then living a life of grace in relationship to others. God help us to get that right. Amen.